This morning, um, you know, Pastor Dick had asked me to to speak this week if I if I had something, and so as I considered, you know, what we've been speaking on recently with the series in Hebrews. Um, how many of you in, have enjoyed this summer series through Hebrews? It's been good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. No, it's been really good to just dig into, you know, what you know what Christ has done for us and, and how, you know, the Old Testament promises made to us are fulfilled in, in Christ and his covenant for us and to us. And so I, I felt like it was appropriate to continue on uh, in, in this series, I guess, if it is, I guess it's a series. Um, but the fact that, uh, you know, Dick thought that Hebrew, the series was done last week, but it continues on. So, all right. Whoa, there. Hi. Do we have do we have scriptures there? In case I just want to get started. So, I don't know. I can't tell. I see a lot of activity back there. You guys don't because you're looking this way. I'm looking that way. Nice. So, continuing on, um, what I wanted to start in was Hebrews chapter ten. So, if you could turn there. In your, in your Bibles, or you can just look on the screen, or you can turn your phone there. I know some people have the Bible on the phone now, which is awesome. So, turn your phones to Hebrews chapter 10. How are we, how are we doing now? Are we good? Nice. All right, so Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse... 19, it says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with a heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray. But Father, I, I just thank you so much for your word, and I thank you, God, that your presence is here in this place, and I thank you, Lord, that, um, Lord, there's no, no coincidences in the kingdom, Lord, that we are here because you've, you've just orchestrated it in such a way, and, uh, and I bless you for that. And Lord, I pray that as I speak this morning, you would speak through me, Lord, knowing that, Lord, you've... Hmm. Lord, that you just um, are amazing in the fact that you use us in our individual giftings and, Lord, the, the creativity and whatever you've done to inspire me to, to speak about this today, Lord. I pray that you would use me as a vessel for your glory, Lord, and I pray our hearts and our ears and our eyes would be opened to what you want to say to us this morning, even as I'm speaking. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to the hearts in minds in this place, Lord, that even what you would say would be stronger and louder than 
even what I would have to say, Lord, I pray that you would just fill this place with your presence and that you would, Lord, just let us know that your love is near to us. And bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I kind of want to go through these set of scriptures here a, a little bit, just talking about them individually for a little bit. But uh, first I want to start out with a little blip from N.T. Wright's commentary on the book of Hebrews, which I think if anyone can, if you can pick up some N.T. Wright, it will give you some good, uh, good reading material for the rest of your life because he has written many books and they are many pages long. <laughs> uh, yeah, when you're like a theologian or a scholar, like I don't know how you have any time for anything else in life because you are just so into the scriptures. So to that person, I say thank you that you have mapped this out so I don't have to do as much digging, but I appreciate it. So anyways, this is what N.T. Wright comments on about this uh, particular set of scriptures. I watched as my mother came in from shopping one day, carrying several bulging bags. She called me to help get the rest from the car. I couldn't think why she'd bought so much food, but I fetched and carried and unloaded as best as I could. Then I remembered all the telephone calls the previous week. Normally, she wouldn't make more than two or three calls a day, but there had been perhaps a dozen or two. Then, that evening, she enlisted my help again in tidying the main front rooms of the house and in polishing a table here and some cutlery there. I was surprised but didn't think more of it. I was no doubt living in my own small world as children do. But then, the following afternoon, the doorbell began to ring, and one person after another came into the house. It was a party. All the shopping, phone calls, and polishing had been getting things ready for a celebration. Friends and neighbors were invited. Everything was prepared. Now I saw where this had all been going. Hebrews has now, if I can put it like this, done the shopping, made the telephone calls, and polished the silver. At last, the invitation goes out. Come to the party. Come to the party. Verse 22 is the primary reason we've come all this way. Collecting key passages from Scripture, marshalling arguments here and there, calling up ideas and images, familiar and unfamiliar, shaping and polishing the exposition of Jesus as God's Son, the truly human one, the great high priest, the mediator of the new covenant. Now we see where it's all been going. Let's come to worship. Verses 19 through 21 lay out in summary form everything we've seen so far. Our boldness of access into God's presence through Jesus' blood, which takes us on a new living path into the innermost shrine through the work of our high priest. The result of it all can hardly be anything but an invitation to draw near. And drawing near is almost a technical term but in this context, for coming to worship. So, I, I definitely appreciated that, because I feel like we've, over the past, you know, several weeks, six weeks, you know, Dick's been teaching on this stuff. It's like we've been, we've been going over things like, you know, 
the covenant God has made with his people and, you know, the priesthood of Jesus, how he's our high priest and mediator of this covenant, you know, the fulfillment of the law through the life of Jesus. And, and what it is is it all comes down to this. It all comes down to this being said so we can know this truth. And I do like the fact that verse 19, it says, therefore, so you know that therefore is there for a reason. It tells you about what we were just talking about. So it's always important to remember about the therefore because the therefore is therefore. Okay, anyways. So we're right at the beginning of this set of scriptures. We have confidence. We have confidence. The Greek word there is the, the Greek word parasia which means anything from all-out spokenness to frankness to bluntness, openly assured, assurance. You know, we have this open confidence to enter into the holy place, into God's presence. As we've already established over the last few weeks, under Mosaic law, only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies in the temple where God's presence resided. And even then, it was a scheduled thing, a circumstantial thing, where it, it, it wasn't something, it was just you wouldn't be cavalier about going into God's presence. There was nothing cavalier of, oh, well, I'll just go in whenever I want. No, no, you did not do that. (laughs) Under this covenant, blood would be shed not to blot out the sins of the people, but it would be to keep pushing back the penalty for sin each year. It just push it back. It would keep pushing it back, and, and but it never ever changed the hearts of people. It never had an inner working in the people. But as the writer of Hebrews has been uh, continuously beating this drum about the new and everlasting covenant through Jesus, it's, it's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from sin. And now we are all partakers of this priesthood, as, as Pastor spoke on last week, that the Father calls us into. And so I want to reflect back on what the book of Ezekiel says regarding covenant language. And I know we've visited this, but... Um, you know, sometimes it's nice to get a reminder here and there um, of what God has done for us and, and why we can approach him in confidence. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's nice to have a reminder more than it is to be instructed because sometimes we just need, like, we've been told something, but, like, we just need to be, keep, we need to be reminded of it, like, I don't know, every day. Amen? All right. So, anyways, here we go. Uh, Ezekiel in the uh, 36th chapter. Beginning in verse 16, and I'm reading this out of the New Living Translation. And so Ezekiel says this, Then this further message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, when the people of Israel were living in their own land, they defiled it by the evil way they lived. To me their conduct was as unclean as a woman's menstrual cloth. They polluted the land with murder and the worship of idols, so I poured out my fury on them. I scattered them to many lands to punish them for the evil way they had lived. But when they were scattered among the nations, they brought shame on my holy name. For the nation said, these are the people of the Lord, but he couldn't keep them safe in his own land. Then I was concerned for my holy name, on which my people brought shame among the nations. Therefore... Give the people of Israel this message from the Sovereign Lord. I am bringing you back, but not because you deserve it. I am doing it to protect my holy name, on which you brought shame while you were scattered among the nations. 
I will show how holy my great name is, the name on which you brought shame among the nations. And when I reveal my holiness through you before their very eyes, says the sovereign Lord, then the nations will know that I am the Lord. For I will gather you up from all the nations and bring you home again to your land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. And you will live in Israel, the land I gave your ancestors long ago. You will be my people, and I will be your God. I will cleanse you of your filthy behavior. I will give you good crops of grain, and I will send no more famines on the land. I will give you great harvest from your fruit trees and fields, and never again will the surrounding nations be able to scoff at your land for its famines. Then you will remember your past sins and despise yourselves for all the detestable things you did. But remember, says the Sovereign Lord, I am not doing this because you deserve it. O oh, my people of Israel, you should be utterly ashamed of all you have done. But this is what the Sovereign Lord says. When I cleanse you from your sins, I will repopulate your cities, and the ruins will be rebuilt. The fields that used to lie empty and desolate in plain view of everyone will again be farmed. And when I bring you back, people will say, The former wasteland is now like the Garden of Eden. The abandoned and ruined cities now have strong walls and are filled with people. Then the surrounding nations that survive will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruins and replanted the wasteland. For I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will do what I say. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I am ready to hear Israel's prayers and to increase their numbers like a flock. They will be as numerous as the sacred flocks that fill Jerusalem's streets at the time of their festivals. The ruined cities will be crowded with people once more, and everyone will know that I am the Lord. Oh. Quite, a, quite a bit to go through there, but boiling it down, we screw up. We turn on God. He steps in and saves the day. Amen. Amen. He forgives us. He, you know, I mean, like, you know, I don't think we can be reminded of this aspect of covenant enough. Enough to know that it's not based on my merit because obviously we first couple verses we found out what our merit looks like. Um, but despite the shame and even the strong language that the Lord gives in this word, you know, of the things that his people have done and, and as the result of, even in spite of that, he's still, for his namesake, for his namesake, he still finds a way. He, he makes a way. He creates a way for us to be able to approach him, to still be his people, to be a people that are called by his name. You know, God was the one who chose to make this covenant with his people, not us. And it was with his reputation on the line. It was with his reputation on the line. And Jesus, as we've been reading about, bearing our sin, our shame, at the sake of his own life, for the sake of ours, he gave it all so that, as we've talked about, that we would be a chosen race, a new race, a royal priesthood.
you know, I look at this and, and just see, you know, the fact that Jesus did not just lay down his life so that we could sort of enter into his presence. And I think that's where a lot of us end up, where we let past condemnation and past things that have gone on in our lives and shame keep us from entering in because we think it, it's dependent on us as to how we can approach God, how we can enter in. It's all you know, on what we do, and it's, it's resting in the covenant and the promises of God. And, but as we read that Jesus, our high priest forever, our great priest, he was torn. He was torn. The, the flesh, his, the curtain, as it were, you know, was opened, you know, on the cross that, that there would be a new and living way, a new and a living way through, his, through the curtain, that is his flesh, as the writer of Hebrews puts it. And it's interesting to see the parallels. We always, I, the book of Hebrews is great for that where you, you can read Hebrews, but you have to read a lot of Old Testament to understand a lot of where Hebrews is coming from because there's so many quotations and, and references back to, to Jewish system and law and custom and, and prophetic words and, and how Jesus has fulfilled much of the prophetic promises in the Old Testament. And so... You know, just as the Father in the beginning with Adam and Eve, just in the beginning as, as the Father opened up the side of Adam, took a rib and produced, you know, his, his bride Eve, you know, so the church, the church is birthed out of the side of Jesus where he was speared, the blood, the water flowed, the blood that was shed for us. You know, the church comes out of that, the Father bringing life, bringing life forth out of that. And it's, man, the old, I've been reading a lot of the Old Testament as a result of this, and it's been great to just see the promises that were made and, and, the, and the, the rich nature of how much stuff points towards Christ and, and the church. In verse 22 of chapter 10 of Hebrews says, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You know, Jesus had said that the Father is seeking those who would worship him in spirit and in truth. And, and in Hebrews, if, you've, if you keep reading past where we are today in chapter 10, you know, you'll read that the just live by faith. The just shall live by faith, and it takes faith to please God. It takes that belief in him that no matter what's going on in life, no matter what my circumstances are, God, is, God remains faithful to the covenant promise that he's made to me. That's what, Again, that boldness, that confidence in the covenant he made that is irrevocable, that is indestructible, I can place my confidence in him because he doesn't waver. Because he doesn't waver. And, and so we draw near to God because of, because of what he's done for us. And, and fully aware that he is worthy of our affection. He is worthy of, uh, to, to be trusted. He is trustworthy. He is faithful to his promises. And, and as a result of his work, we can come to him by faith fully confident. Fully confident. You know, Jesus' blood, we know our hearts are to be cleansed from evil. Jesus' blood, I mean, we've talked about that several times in this series, the fact that, you know, his atoning sacrifice for our sins is, is so crucial to being able to approach the Father. And, you know, but how many people know, it's, you know, how many people know here know that if the, 
blood of bulls and goats was sufficient, you know, for a sacrifice that Jesus wouldn't have had to die, you know? But it's interesting in this uh, passage, you know, verse 22, that it's, it includes not just the, the blood that cleanses us, you know, from sin and evil conscience here, but, you know, it's interesting that there's this mention of the washing of water. And, uh, and I know it's one of those things where we could easily just skip past this and be like, oh, okay, you know, sprinkle clean, our hearts are clean, and, and the washing of water, Okay. But water, see, again, we're, we're in Hebrews, so the book is to, addressed to Hebrews, so it's good to know a little bit about Jewish ritual, Jewish custom, and things of that nature. And, and water, for the Jew, was a big deal. Does anyone know why? Cleansing. I mean, that was, for, for a Jew, water was a symbol of cleansing. Water was that, it, it, like, knowing that to approach anything, ritual cleansing was so important. And, and being clean. And in the Old Testament accounts, I mean, you know, for the priests to be able to minister in the holy place, they were given charge by the word of the Lord to Moses that they were to wash before approaching the altar in the temple. It actually says... I, I think I had this, uh, in Exodus 30, in the second, second book of the, the Bible, it says this, uh, Exodus 30, beginning of verse 17, you can't really see the reference there, but it says this, the Lord said to Moses, you shall also make a basin of bronze with its stand of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it, with which Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet. When they go into the tent of meeting or when they come near to the altar to minister, to burn a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water so that they may not die. They shall wash their hands and their feet so that they may not die. It shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his offspring throughout their generations. So as you can see, if it was a matter of death, then it's very important. Very important. And in the Old Testament, especially Jewish culture, there are many, many references to ritual cleansing for water, especially if you like to have some nighttime reading in Leviticus or, or Numbers. Um, you know, it's, it's really cool. We had an amazing time uh, this spring uh, in Israel, uh, a couple of the guys here, and um, had a blast, had a blast. And uh, one of the things that I took note of was every ancient site that they've kind of uncovered and unearthed and everything is uh, the amount of mikvahs they have. The, there's a mikvah everywhere. Mikvah here, mikvah there. Mikvah everywhere. So, for those of you who don't know what a mikvah is, oh boy, I didn't, I, I'm, I'm just as uneducated when it comes to that stuff. So, um, but a mikvah is basically a, a small pool that, that a Jew priest, you know, whoever would need to do this, they would, they'd go down into the pool, into the mikvah, and they'd fully immerse themselves so that they would be ritually clean. There would be a washing, a ceremonial washing that would, that would take place. And, and uh, you know, if you had become ritually impure for, for any reason, any reason, I mean, and if you read the Old Testament accounts, you could become ritually unclean for about just, you know, a... Uh, uh, Thousands of things, so be thankful we are under, under grace in that sense. Um, 
But Jesus even had to approach this this issue of ritual cleansing even in his day, the, the, the ideas that the Jews held on to. And actually in Luke 11, we read this account uh, in verse 37. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. That was a little, they don't use that emphasis there. And the Lord said to him, Jesus saying this to the Pharisee after just hearing that. Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish. But inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? Amen. Again, as we've been going through this study, it's blatantly obvious that God is more concerned with changing us from the inside out, creating a new heart in us, putting a new sp- his spirit into us, that the whole idea of doing that was so that we would be changed, that, that he would have a place to live within us, that, that we were holy enough, so that he would have a place to inhabit, that he could actually live in us so we could approach him. You know, it's about covenant relationship, not about religious standing with God. But that is for another day. So, and as Dick was teaching uh, a couple weeks ago on the, the logos, love, love, that, uh, love that study about the word from Hebrews 4 and how the word, the Greek word for, Greek word, for word, logos there about, you know, Jesus, Jesus himself. And it's interesting, as we discussed this, I was talking about with the word, word, because if you read, I'm going to keep saying word. If you, if, man, I'm going to stumble over this. When you're reading the word, word in the Bible, it's not necessarily the same Greek word. Just like if you read the word love in the Bible, it's translated love, but there's, you know, the different, different forms of love with like eros and phileo and agape. And so you're like, well, which love is it? Which word is it? And so um, I was reading through Ephesians and you know, I was camped out in chapter 5, you know, where it says this, starting in verse 25. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And I thought, wow. See, Jews, okay, so I'm going to kind of go back and then come back. Uh, Jews and those who adhere to the old covenant, again, the ritual cleansing and water was the way to be cleansed. Like, that was the way they were shown. So, of course, that's where they take it. But it's interesting that Paul, in speaking of Christ and the church, but in, you know, specifically in this context of marriage, commissions husbands in loving their wives to cleanse them by the washing of water with the word. So I really, I kind of hung out there because I'm like trying to figure out, okay, what's he, what's he saying? Because it's important because I'm a husband. So like, I have to know what that means. Um, But the word for, (laughs) here we go again. The word for word this time is not the logos. You know, like we studied before. But the word here is the word rhema. 
or the Greek form of remati, I guess, the spoken word. And in this context, this is specifically husbands to wives, and I guess I'll say this to, to husbands, love, encouragement, you know, sharing insight from the Lord, I mean, that, it goes a long way. You know, it goes a long way. And I, I don't think it's any mistake that Paul, in his continuation, if you keep reading in Ephesians 5, how in his continuation, he doesn't tell wives to love their husbands in, the, in this scripture. He, he tells wives to respect their husbands. And I always kind of wondered, well, why don't they have to love back, you know? Why does a husband love their wives and why not, you know? But in reading this and kind of considering this and the husband, you know, the, the spoken word, you know, sharing insight, hearing from the Lord, sharing that with their wife, loving them, encouraging them, you know, it probably would make it easier for wives to love their husbands if the husbands were loving the wife first, right? We, we only love God because he loved, first loved us. So anyways, that'll be another sermon if I go down that road. So. But it's interesting, the Apostle Paul uses the, you know, the, the method, I guess, if you would, in 1 Corinthians 15, talking about Adam and Jesus, you know, how Adam, the first Adam, the second Adam, and, you know, how he writes that it must first be the natural and then the spiritual. It must first be the natural and then the spiritual. And I believe even in this, there's that, I don't know, the Old Testament, you, you there's always that foreshadowing of what it lends, it, it kind of makes its way into, and so you have Jesus a lot where he says, you know, you've heard it said, but now I tell you this, and so there's all this stuff in the Old Testament that's like, you know, it kind of at face value has this meaning, but God really has this kind of, you know, undergirding meaning that it's, it's like once you have revelation, you start to understand, and, and it's interesting how for the Jews, water, the washing became such a you know, a thing. It was like, if I do this religious ceremony of washing, I am washed. I am in water, I'm washed. And, and, and I just think that, you know, I don't know, this is my thought, but that the washing and cleansing that we are to go through as we draw near, this confidence that we have in drawing near and knowing that we've been, you know, saved and, and redeemed by the blood of Jesus, is that as we draw near regularly, it's not just a reference to something like water baptism, although if you read commentaries, that's kind of what, you know, a lot of these water references go to. Um, but I believe that our, our sanctification, as, as that scripture said in Ephesians 5, sanctifying by the washing of water with the word, you know, cleansing these, these acts are, are truly a work of the Spirit and the scriptures in work, the Holy Spirit bringing the scriptures to life. The Holy Spirit, it's like getting in the Word is not just to, okay, if I get into the Word, I find life, as we discussed, you know, a couple weeks back, where, you know, the Pharisees, the religious people, they read the Scripture, and they know their, I know my Bible, I know my Bible, but, you know, Jesus, in a rebuke to that, that mentality, saying, you won't find life in them. You won't find life if you're trying to get life out of the Scriptures, but if you look to me, Jesus, you will find life knowing that the scriptures, the spirit, all these things lead us into a relationship with Jesus. Anyways, either way, we are cleansed, we are delivered, we are sprinkled clean, and he makes the way for us to enter into his presence. And the writer of Hebrews says to not waver in this, 
Don't waver. Don't throw away your confidence. Like, this is a solid hope that you can, you can know that you are cleansed, you are washed, you, you have been sprinkled clean, that, that it's because of the work of Jesus. You can draw near. You can come into his presence. You can come now because of everything he has done. And there is a reason he calls us out of that darkness. It's so that we can draw near. He wants to fully bring us out of darkness. It's, it's the idea of being transferred from one kingdom into another, not one foot in the old kingdom and one foot in the new one. You know, it's like he wants us to bring us all the way out of our former life so that we could fully embrace him, that we could fully know him, that we can fully live in the promises that he has for us. And because that is our inheritance, that is our spiritual inheritance we have. Like if that is one of the awesome things. It's like if you don't have a physical inheritance, you don't have an inheritance you can draw on in this life, well, you have a spiritual inheritance. You have an inheritance in Christ, and it's by the Spirit of the living God in you. In you. You have been made holy. You have been cleansed so that God would live in you, that wherever you go, there he goes with you. And you have the, you have the ability to uh, impact those around you because of who you have in you. How awesome is that? You know, we get to represent him. We get to, we get to re, represent him. We get to share who he is. And, and by drawing near ourselves, we will call out to others for them to draw near. You know, we will call out to others as we draw near, as we experience God, and as we, un, we embrace his presence and his love in our lives. What else would we want to do other than call out to those to say, come out? Come out from the darkness. Come out. Come into the light. Know what it's like to experience the love of Jesus in your own life. I mean, I, I firmly believe that God always desires to do to us what he desires to do through us. He wants to do that. He wants to shed light in our lives so that we will be a light to others. The more we are in his presence, the more we are aware of his loving kindness, the more we will be effective towards others. Verse 24 uh, you know, spurring each other on into good works, you know, loving good works. Notice it doesn't talk about you personally doing good works. It's, it's not a, you know, as a result of this drawing near, you do good works, you personally. It's you personally spur on others to good works. There's community there. <laughs> as we draw near, as we enter into his presence, there is this aspect of community that takes place, and, and the focus is on others. The focus is on spurring on each other, encouraging one another, exhorting one another. Actually, the exhort, exhorting one another is exhorting, literally, to call out. Call out. We should be calling out to each other on a regular basis, and that is, that is totally in community. We are covenant community. We, we share, those who are in Christ, we share a common grace like, we may be different race, we may have a different background, but we share the same spiritual history. We share the same grace, the same love that God shed on the cross. We get to share that. That is a common grace that we get to embrace together and encourage one another. When times get tough, when things just aren't going right, we can exhort each other and, and, and be there. And that's so crucial. That's so crucial in the drawing near, in the confidence of drawing near, is that we make sure others are coming with us, that we come alongside those you know, who are struggling. You know, I know one of the best ways you can enter into his presence and be aware of his presence is to just pour out your affection on him. Pour out all of your affection on God so that there's nothing left for anything else. 
Like we read in Ezekiel, the idea of you'll be sprinkled clean. I will give you a new heart. I will put my spirit in you, and you will no longer worship idols. You will no longer do this. I'm, I'm doing this in you so that you can be drawn fully out of darkness, that you wouldn't put your trust in other people. You wouldn't put your trust in money. You wouldn't put your trust in, in a job. You wouldn't put your trust in your house. You wouldn't put your trust, whatever it is, that you're putting your full trust in. Because as soon as that's snuffed out and taken from you, you no longer have a confidence anymore. You no longer have that confidence. You're now wavering. You're now staggering. You're now like, oh no, I put all of my eggs in the basket of whatever it is, and and that's how you know if you have an idol in your life, is if that very thing you put all of your affection in, and as soon as you did, it's just gone. And then when that happens, life, as we know it, usually feels over. You know, but because if we pour out our affection on him and we draw near to him, we'll be able to put our full trust in him and, and to enter into worship as anti yeah, right, you know, like, you know, that's a great thing. All of this stuff has happened. All of this stuff has happened. Jesus has done all this, the priesthood, the new covenant. All of this has been done so that we can enter in and worship. We can truly be the people of God pouring out our full affection and love on him. And the thing is, is he doesn't only want us to do this in a personal way, but in a corporate way. That we come together as the people of God and that we join together. And, and whether, you know, we're coming into the season where we're, we're getting ready for small groups here next month. And what a better way than to join in with other brothers and sisters to, to be able to hear. You know, small groups is a safe community, a safe place to hear from God. Did you know that? And, it, and it's always tough because we think that, well, I don't know if I'm hearing from God or not. Well, if you're in community and you share that with someone, like, I think I heard this from the Lord. I think this is what was happening. As I was drawing near in the word, as I was drawing near in prayer, as I was drawing near in serving or this or that, what better a place to do that, to exercise that than in community? And that's really one of the things where it's like, you know, the writer of Hebrews says, don't neglect meeting together. This is super important. This is so important to this whole exercise of drawing near, entering his presence, full confidence, assurance, no wavering. So as N.T. Wright would say, the party is all prepared. The invitations have gone out and the silver is polished. Then the host stands waiting at the door. Today, are you ready to accept the invitation and come in? Come in together. Let's stand and uh, we'll pray as we close out. Oh God, we, we just welcome you in this place. We welcome you in this place and say, have your way. Have your way in this place, oh God. God, you've called us out. You've called us out of darkness. We have a boldness in you to enter in. Not because of what we've done, and actually quite the opposite. Even in spite of what we've done, you have made a way. You have come, and you have made us a people when we were not a, when we were not a people. Oh God, you have come, and you've redeemed. You've restored. You've made whole, Lord, our hearts. And I pray that we would be a people who live in that light, that live in that victory, knowing the sacrifice you paid was sufficient enough 
to allow us to enter in boldly, that there would be nothing holding us back, Lord, no shame, no sin that would hold us back because you have for once and for all paid the penalty, not pushing it back, but officially, fully paying the penalty for our sins. And I thank you, O God. I thank you, Lord, for that. And I ask, Lord, that as your people, that we would truly enter in, that there would be nothing that would keep us from drawing near to you, Lord. There would be nothing that would keep us from coming closer to your heart, knowing your loving kindness. I do ask, Lord, today for those who do not know you in this way, Lord, that there would be a confidence, oh God. I just pray, Lord, that salvation would fill this place today. God, that those who may be unaware of your presence in their own lives, Lord, I ask, God, for the gift of faith to be poured out in this place, that, that you would just take this word today, let it be sown on the good ground. Let it be sown on the good ground. I just pray that you, you alone, O oh God, would make that ground tender. You would make that ground tender, Lord, so that your word would grow and it would flourish. I bless you today. I bless these people and ask God that you would just do only what you can do, and that is save us, Lord, in the midst of anything going on. We bless you and give you praise. Amen.